You are now listening to Red Light Radio, a psychedelic podcast powered by Red Light Holland. Make sure to follow us on our socials at Red Light Holland to get the latest updates. Powered by Red Light Holland. Hello, and welcome to the Red Light Radio Podcast, Episode 1. I'm your host, Wisdom. It's a pleasure to meet you all. Fun fact about me, I'm actually quite small. I'm a magic truffle, but like you, I'm here to learn, so please send in any questions for us to address your concerns. It's an honor for me to introduce to you our wonderful guests, CEO Todd Shapiro, patent attorney Graham Pechnik, and CITO Sarah Hashkiss. So, let's hop right into it. Sarah, could you please tell me why psychedelics are so powerful and what psilocybin is? Sure, Wisdom. Um, inside of you, there's, uh, as you know, a substance that's called psilocybin. Now, when humans consume this uh, substance, also animals actually, uh, there's a receptor in our brain that's called the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor. So this psilocybin connects to that receptor and it makes these neurons that have these receptors more likely to fire. These neurons become a lot more sensitive. But um, I don't know if you know this wisdom, but brains actually have 86 billion neurons in them. And not all of them are equal. Every neuron can do really different things. And the neurons that get activated by psilocybin are actually the neurons that are connected to our previous knowledge base, to what's called our biases. Now, a lot of people, you know, we don't always grow up in the best conditions. Uh, some people have a difficult early ch- childhood and can form biases that are really not in our benefit. We grew up with trauma. And psilocybin allows our brain to destabilize that trauma. And our brain becomes a lot more plastic. Now, this is why it's so, so important that while we're on psychedelics, we're in an environment that is actually safe uh, with people that care for us because we're really in a very plastic and, and delicate space, uh, especially if we're taking large doses of uh, psychedelics. Does that make sense to you, Wisdom? Yes, thank you so much. Let's hop right into things. I'm curious to know how Red Light Holland came to be. How did you all meet? Are we, are we talking to the wisdom truffle? This is awesome. Okay. What's going on, wisdom? <laughs> You're very, look at this light. Look at the wisdom truffle. That's some, the wisdom truffle is going to be huge, I think. I love this. Are we going to get into the why, who the wisdom truffle is also? I hope. Okay, good. Good. Nice to see you, wisdom truffle. Um, yeah, so so getting back to your question, wisdom. <laughs> doing my best to talk to the wisdom truffle here, guys. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. Um, This is great. This is really fun. This is really fun. I I feel like this conversation should be reserved for like 9 p.m. Um, uh, Listen, this is really neat stuff. So, um, yeah, so it's very, I I, I try not to get emotional when I think about this because we've been publicly traded as a company now, Red Light Holland, for over a year and uh, which is wild to me because in, in, in my sort of wildest dreams, I never imagined that um, I think I would ever take a risk like this and, and watch it kind of be really cool and, 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 and growing and, and, and so much, in our opinion, so much potential uh, to really make a difference and, and, and really make positive change and be a part of positive change. So uh, thinking back to really now over about a year and a half ago when we were still a private company and it just kind of stemmed from an idea quite candidly just talking about a lot of sort of 
anxiety that people were faced with in this world and 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 mental health issues that people were faced with uh, sadly in this world uh, i suffer from a great deal amount of anxiety myself actually super anxious today i almost sawed off my thumb a couple of weeks ago and it's not healing great so it's making me anxious um, not to get too candid but uh if anyone's not too squeamish i could show you the result and, and so um you know long story short I, I, you know, spoke to guys in the capital markets because my background is media and it wasn't from the capital markets. And I said, listen, I really want to make a difference. I want to raise some money. How do I go about doing this? And I think the idea for me originally was to bring a company to the public markets because you have a great opportunity at access of capital to take that capital and to, and to hopefully supremely grow your business and to where that vision sticks. Uh, you think of like Elon Musk, what he did. And if you think about uh, where, where, you know, SpaceX's website would have been, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And look what's actually happening with SpaceX today. Uh, you need capital to make sure that those ideas get done. So we um, quickly raised about $4 million and, and um, it was a really interesting kind of kind of time you know i never really asked people for money before and we raised at about six cents was the valuation post money at about 11 mil and we got our company listed which we think was an absolute major milestone in the psychedelic sector because of course people know what separates red light holland from so many of the other psychedelic companies is that while we obviously support science and believe in the properties compounds and molecules what it can hopefully do one day and get proven out we also really believe in access now through responsible use and, and education and we've done that i mean we've proven time after time after time again that anything we sort of think of we get done and we do we want to continue to do the things that we've thought of and think of more things to do so in that process of getting listed and you know actually ironically you know if you if you think about we raised at six cents and and i think you know when we closed at 30 cents last friday which would have been a year to the day um you know that would, would have been a 500 percent increase for some shareholders so, who started to believe in the initial concept so really cool and we think that there's a you know a tremendous upside without ever doing price projections but we're excited and confident with you know unaudited call it 30 million dollars in the bank so where did i meet sarah where did i meet graham early on was kind of neat i i was being reached out to by many different kind of these conferences and obviously covid was hitting so they're more accounts, uh, not, uh, teleconferences as opposed to uh, live ones. And I met Sarah at, at one of the ones like within about a week or two of me being publicly traded. And I was absolutely blown away by Sarah's candidness, by Sarah's progressive attitude, by Sarah, Sarah's science background and, and, and her tech background. Um, she, to be honest, she blew me away. Like I was just so impressed by Sarah and, and no, you did because you're so brilliant. And, and, uh, another Elon Musk sort of line is, you know, I might not have the Harvard degree, but surround yourselves around people who do, and that usually can help really elevate a company and its team. And Sarah really was just someone I had to talk to. I followed up and, um, I, I, I think right away, I was like, I would love to work with you. Can we figure out something to do together? And, you know, she originally came on as an advisor and then we started working very closely with Radix Motion. We'll get into all that they produced and done for us, including this talking wisdom truffle. And we, um, you know, re very recently named Sarah, you know, our chief innovation and technology officer at Red Light Holland. And it's just huge for us. And, and we're really grateful. And ironically, through Sarah's relationships, um, she had known Graham. 
and 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 Graham had helped Sarah with IP on the contract that we did with some of the technology that we were building. So we met Graham on that angle. And Graham was just another like extremely revered and intelligent and wonderfully spoken and very progressive. I think that's what sort of unites and 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 kind of made us all gather together here. And so I had to reach out to Graham to say, dude, uh, you know, your your mind also blows me away. Is there any chance you'd consider coming on as an advisor, especially a legal and senior advisor for Red Light Holland? Because I know that as we sort of approach different markets and we watch different markets open up and different, hopefully different countries, uh, and as well look to, we recently filed a, a, a patent application for find your dose. We would need that kind of support. So, uh, that's how the three of us anyway, have, have come together. And sadly, what's really sad to me is we've never met in person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sarah, maybe you and Graham can share your relationship in terms of how you met. Yeah, I mean, I can take that to kind of build off of what Todd was saying. I also watched that same um, webinar, and I was likewise really blown away and impressed by the work that Sarah presented on it. Um, and so I similarly felt that I had to reach out, and I reached out to Sarah just to, to tell her um, how uh, just what an impression it made on me, that, that, you know, the work that she was presenting. And so we sort of started a conversation around that and it turned out that she happened to need some patent help. And, and so I couldn't have been any more delighted to work on that project because it was something that I saw as being, you know, not just really incredible and kind of groundbreaking technology, but something that really crossed over sort of two of the like experience areas that I had as a patent lawyer. One was starting my career in the more pharmaceutical space that I was hoping to sort of turn into uh, something ongoing around psychedelics. And the other was, the sort of previous three or four years, I had worked mostly in the tech space um, for Google was our biggest client at the firm that I was at sort of protecting the Android ecosystem. So finding a way to sort of combine this technology um, and this really new technology that I saw as kind of a, could be a platform potentially for a real flourishing ecosystem of a bunch of kind of follow on things that were really interesting. Taking that and combining it with psychedelics was just, I mean, professionally and personally, like kind of a dream come true. So, of course, I was delighted to work with Sarah and I had followed the work of Red Light Holland. I actually reached out to Todd, I think, too, at that conference to say that it was you know, nice seeing you there because um, Red Light Holland, I saw, is really standing outside of a lot of the other companies in this space um, who are you know, working in this kind of medicalized route to take things through the FDA. And so I saw a... Um, also kind of a way of manifesting my personal and professional interests in broadening access to the responsible use of psychedelics, which is something that's to me been kind of a through line since I had my first psychedelic experiences with psilocybin mushrooms back when I was starting college. And I actually picked my majors of cognitive science and biochemistry because of my interest in the way they actually dealt with my anxiety. So I had a lot of sort of social anxiety that I just saw as Kind of a part of my personality and you know i sort of tried to deal with it in different ways i you know i drank alcohol or smoked cannabis and things that sort of like dulled the anxiety and the anxious feelings and the, the first time i took psilocybin i was kind of at a party with other people and i sort of went to be by myself and i came back out and then i saw this anxiety as this thing that was like not part of me but like something i was like kind of wearing or just like an object that was like with me and i was just well like can i just take this off and like just leave it here and then i was like no longer sort of attached to it or saw it as a like just a natural part of my own being but rather something that was like supplementary and subsidiary to who i was and not part of who i was and that was like such an important 
kind of moment for me in such a important way that I re-saw and kind of felt like I could reimagine my own personality, but really understand my brain and how it worked and, you know, those 86 billion neurons. So I decided I wanted to, you know, study them. Um, and I thought perhaps I would go to graduate school to study psychedelics. I didn't get much encouragement in that because a lot of the neuroscience professors I was working with thought it was not really a kind of reputable thing to be studying. And, and some of them even told me they would never in their lives take something like LSD or psilocybin because they're worried it would scramble their brains. So clearly there's like education that needs to happen in this space, even among people who are, you know, professing to be some of the like, you know, brightest minds in neuroscience. Um, so I decided because I was involved in high school in reform efforts around cannabis that I would go to college and study cognitive liberty or try to work in that area. And, and of course, law school loans being what they were, that's not what I ended up doing, but it's always been a passion of mine to try to find ways to bring, especially psychedelics, given my you know experiences with them, um, to a broader population of people who are you know able to use them responsibly because just, you know, of course, the way that they had these, you know, experiences uh, or the way I had these experiences and the way I access this sort of new way of consciousness, of course, I want other people to be able to access those forms of consciousness and experiment themselves responsibly with those different forms of consciousness. So, you know, that's something that I see as being a big part of, um, you know, the work that hopefully Red Light Holland can bring and, and a big part of, you know, the work that Sarah was doing. And, and so I'm, you know, really delighted to be able to work, be working all together on, um, you know, this as kind of uh, a mission that's really something that's important to me, both personally and, and professionally. Yeah, I, I think what um, maybe also binds us together is that we were all very privileged with a substance. You know, we had a great support structure, maybe friends, uh, at least me and Graham had a lot of uh, ac academic uh, uh, openings to read about this, to learn what this does to us. Uh, and I think that's uh, my passion and what I love about Red Light Holland is that uh, Wisdom, you're going to be helping us, you know, educate people right now, even. Um, we're not just a, a force talking heads here. Uh, we're trying to make something that's a bit different, that has a wider appeal, um, that can speak to people in very interactive ways, too. Uh, Wisdom, you're in our VR experience. People can actually play with you and hold the psilocybin molecule um, and actually see how it connects to uh, your new to our neurons. Um, so there's a lot around the support structures that we got that we're trying to replicate. Uh, in the Netherlands, we have a therapist. Hopefully he'll be maybe in, in one of your next uh, podcasts here and you can talk to Jeff. Uh, we're not just giving people, you know, this magical substance and saying, okay, good luck. You're on, you're on your own, uh, which, uh, you know, I'm going to be very critical of this pharmaceutical industry. That's a lot of what they do, right? They just have this thing and, Good luck, um, and we see it's not it's not working. Wisdom, there's like a pretty pretty terrible mental health crisis, um, at least uh, even amongst uh, my close friends and and social uh, connections. Uh, and we're really trying to change that by creating deeper connections, both using technology and both using the human technology, the human element, having people that you can talk to, having support around you. Uh, and having the magic of psilocybin. So it all really comes together. Wow, it's so interesting to hear about all of your personal experiences and seeing that there's still this stigma within the industry and, and hopefully we can help reduce that. Um, but I'm curious to know from all of your different perspectives, what does psychedelics mean to you personally? Sarah, why don't you start with that? Um, so I, I wasn't... Uh, 
wor- like I'm a very risk averse in many ways person, right? I do a lot of research before I, I take on risks, very, very statistically uh, uh, thinking. Um, and it took me a while until I actually tried psychedelics. And again, I was in a place where I had all the support. I was studying in the Netherlands too, right? So there was a lot of risk mitigation there. And for me, it was the first time this inner voice, to, uh, Todd and Graham talk about social anxiety. I don't have that very lucky. I don't care what people think about me, <laughs> but I do have this inner voice that's just rambles, 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 constantly like criticizing what I'm doing and am I doing enough, right? Am I working hard enough? Am I, all these things, do you, and with psychedelics, that voice was just quiet. No more voice. I'm in the present. I'm in the moment, um, connected to my body, connected to other people and very deep levels to even to the place where I'm like confused whose hand is whose. Right. You can you can quite easily get to the state where really uh, your brain mirrors the other person so closely that you stop having this boundary between you. And I was just so fascinated that I literally pivoted my academic research um, and uh, wrote a paper. Uh, I I had a bit more luck than Graham with my professors. Again, it's the Netherlands. Uh, I found um, a professor that was interested in helping me write a paper and uh, we conducted research. We found it impossible to get uh, approval. It was very hard, right, to get people to approve the science. So this was more uh, a mathematical paper about what happens looking at the data in your brain to understand this balance, how the balance between your sensory information and these biases change, right? And that's what everybody here is talking about, how you can put aside a belief that you've had and suddenly it's not such a big part of you anymore because that part of your brain has has changed because of the magic of, of psilocybin. Um, so psychedelics to me, I think, are... Um, one of the main avenues that I see uh, a potential hope for humanity. Like if we can actually get this right, if we can get the support structures in place, if we can get this accessible to the people that need this, um, I see just so much hope, so much hope in healing trauma and healing social trauma, generational, intergenerational trauma. Um, I just uh, uh, um, shared a paper, amazing, amazing paper. I was in tears while I was reading this because I'm Israeli. And they did a, a research paper on how psilocybin affected um the Israeli-Jewish uh, uh, connection uh, between Palestinians and Muslims um, in, in ayahuasca ceremonies, how it got them to uh, both heal their own PTSDs, be able to enjoy each other's language and music. You know, this is where it starts. If we can see through the other person's eyes, if we can connect to the other person's culture, suddenly all these terrible negative uh, fears that we have Maybe we can let go of them. So that's that's my hope. That was so powerful. I, I love that. Todd, how about you go next? Sure. Thanks, Wisdom. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I when I first took this company public, uh, I was I was sort of like um, afraid, which is rare for me because I kind of made a living kind of saying whatever popped into my head. Um, and, and when I did that in media and I, but I was afraid publicly, you know, I was trying to figure out the role of a CEO of a publicly traded company and what to say and what not to say and how personal you get. And, and maybe, you know, showing vulnerability might be a bad thing for the CEO of a company. You know, do you have to instill raw, raw confidence in all shareholders and stuff? And I found that the more comfortable I got at it, uh, the more I felt there's no point in, in sort of ever compromising who I am or what my experiences were. Cause 
I, I'm super proud of all my experiences and, and, and those that I'm not, you know, you just evolve in life and that's what you do. And that's who hopefully people become and are. And, and for me, I, I at first didn't talk about how, like, you know, listen, when I was in college and, and probably even into high school, like my buddies and I would get together annually and we would do what I think, you know, is part of the stigma still within psychedelics, which is what I think we're all trying to do and change through, through education information, which is you'd go on a weekend, you'd either go like on a, on, you know, you'd go on a, on a, some sort of canoe trip, or you'd go up to someone's cottage, you'd go to nature and you trip out, you'd get magic mushrooms and they're always easily accessible to get from when I was a youngster to, to this day, even easier, which in a way is very kind of interesting for red light holland because we're following such a legal framework you know you know one that we're way more patient with one that we trying to work with governments with one that we're trying to do properly by that education information uh, yet you see all these illegal websites out there selling it and people posting stuff on their instagram but with that being said accessibility is key we just want to make sure that it's done regulated and done carefully so um i, I and we would get together and and to be honest you know even at a young age 19 20 21 whatever it was we would have some of the best, like literally the best nights of our lives. And, and we, I don't realize, I don't think we realized at the time going into it, what we were even doing. I think we did quite candidly think of it more as a party drug. I don't think we thought of it as a healing drug, a way to open up to one another drug, a way to, uh, and I don't even like to use the word drug, by the way, it's like a natural substance. I almost think of like a, a glorified vitamin or something, but, um, so, so it, I had very, very special moments with my very close friends, people we could trust and, and people that were there. And there's a lot of great communication that happened. I remember going from room to room and being just as excited going one room that had a stucco ceiling to one that had a hardwood floor. And what did you explore and what did you see from all that stuff? And then the kind of glow after period, right? Which was just a beautiful moment and beautiful moments that we still cherish and talk about today. Um, and, and, uh, it, it, I don't think I ever thought that this would be a mission of mine in life, but later on, fast forward, you know, many years later, I'm talking like 25 years later, I'm not a young guy, I'm 48 in a few weeks. Um, uh, when I was doing media, most of my conversations, because we did long form radio and long form podcasting, not too dissimilar to what we're doing today, not just a, you know, a cheesy four or five minute bit and in, in and out and you get to a new song. Uh, we opened up and people opened up to me a lot and, and a lot of big entertainers opened up to me, a lot of big, you know, sports athletes, uh, you know, you name it. And, and we were just having these really in-depth conversations and a lot of, a lot of it led back to again, anxiety and mental health issues. And, and then interestingly enough, a lot of people were like, well, I microdose or I know someone who microdoses and that just kept coming up and I needed to learn more about it. Um, and, and, and I did it. And, you know, in the Netherlands, I, I've done the truffles. I've tried the truffles as a microdose product before it was our own product. And I can tell you exactly what Graham said, um, or at least not too dissimilar from what Graham said for, for someone who has a great deal amount of anxiety often, um, it was an amazing way to park that anxiety. It was an amazing way to like recognize it's there, recognize it might not even go anywhere, but by the way, don't let it limit you and just put it in the garage. It's not like you're avoiding it. It's not like you're just numbing it, like, you know, drinking, you know, eight beers will do or something. It's actually recognizing it, but being able to kind of very carefully and patiently um, plow through it and, and, and feel more kind of in touch, I think at least, and maybe Sarah can back this up through all her experience and knowledge of actually studying psilocybin in way more depth than I have. I've just read articles and papers that she's written, but it's the idea for me anyway, that it actually takes less 
off of my own mind. And, and it allows me to focus on others around me, on the environment around me, even on like, uh, you know, art around me or, or the food I'm eating around me. Um, it, you know, interestingly enough, I don't think I've ever said this before. Like I'm, I'm a, like, I love meat. I really do. Like I love a good burger. I love a good steak. But when I'm microdosing, I'm a little more conscious of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe I won't have the steak right now. So you just think of the environment a lot more. And I think that helps with anxiety, meaning that it takes a little bit less off our, we're also ingrained in our own brains these days. We're also worried about a like on, on, on Instagram or a retweet on Twitter. And, and I think especially with this COVID-19, which has been really tough because less people are getting out lockdowns, et cetera, less communication and less, you know, um, um, really going to sporting events with, you know, five of your friends or, or going out for lunch with seven of your buddies. Um, there's been less of that so even more on ourselves more in, inside our own brains and i think that and again our company can never make medical claims and i want to i want to even add that to even sarah's talk earlier even though she's you know studied and knows so much about the topic but we'd like to explore it further and at least anecdotally continue to get experiences which is why i'm in this they were anecdotal experiences that i heard about microdosing that's that made me say this is it. This is, it just hit me. It was a new passion. I wanted to explore it further. I did. It backed up that new passion. And here we are today, you know, again, a year later, um, you know, selling product. We're so proud of it. We have a farm We're we're harvesting, we're packaging, we're growing, we're selling. We have a distribution company Building in the technology. Netherlands. Yeah, we have, we have incredible technology. We have like, I think the strongest team in the entire sector. And if you, I'm so, you know, grateful for you wisdom to put these together, red light radio, because you get to actually really meet our team, you know, put, put faces to the deck, put, put names and voices to who they are uh, and the knowledge that they have. So uh, it's a passion of mine. That's, that's not going away. Um, I'll tell you too, my personality and who I am is not changing. Uh, I saw a great little, I always go in these little YouTube rabbit holes, but I was watching us recently, Steve Jobs speak to Yale University. Um, it was just after he was diagnosed with pancreatic, uh, pancreatic cancer the first time, uh, which actually went into remission through an operation. Uh, and then and sadly he got it back. But, um, you know, he ended it by saying, you know, he used to follow this publication like the 70s. And I'll never forget when they went out of business, their last post was, it said, stay hungry and stay foolish. And, and that's what he told Yale University grads as they get out there into the real world, which is stay hungry and stay foolish. And to me, that's what I think this team is doing is we're, we're hungry. We want to make a difference in the world, but we have fun. We laugh. We have wisdom truffle talking to everybody right now. We're creative and we're innovative. And I think, you know, this is going to add to the culture of psychedelics and the community of psychedelics, which we're really in tune with. Uh, and I might not be in academia, as I've said in the past, but I can tell you, you know, I got my ear to the ground. I'm, I, I think I'm from the street anyway. And uh, we feel like we're really start, starting to make a difference and really resonate with people. So it's, it's, it's really a, a wonderful time that we're grateful for. That is so great. I'm curious to know a little bit more about the technology and that front of the business. Sarah, maybe you can give a few words on that and also what Red Light Holland has accomplished over the past year. I know, Todd, you just covered a few things, but we can head into that right now. Yeah, I think uh, what Todd was talking about microdosing is a great intro uh, because there is a lot of anecdotal evidence. This has been going on for years and years, but the research is very new uh, and very limited. And we're taking a type of approach with uh, our app. It's called imicroapp.com. You can go to it right now. It's a privacy first app. 
Um, as far as I know, the first of its kind, it's not on the app store. It's a web app. It doesn't connect to your email or require any type of private information. We know, especially that there's uh, still so much negative bias around this, that privacy uh, really, really needs to be the first uh, thing. Uh, but if people are microdosing with our packs or without our packs, they can use this right now for free. And this app will help them get analytics to see if microdosing is helping them achieve their goals. And if they want to, and this is really up to them, we're hoping people do opt in to share the data with researchers, but this is, uh, it needs to come from, from a personal commitment and a personal want to help the community. Um, and we're hoping, uh, we already have users on it and we already have some users that are sharing their data. Uh, and we're gonna start to see patterns around who uh, microdosing is actually helping, what is the dose uh, that is helping them, what is the protocol. Uh, we basically, uh, again, no medical claims, not a doctor, but anybody you talk to that has been microdosing for a while will tell you, don't microdose every day. Your brain needs some time to recover, your brain needs some time to, where, where are you? Figure out uh, how this is affecting you. Uh, but how much should you be microdosing? Uh, once every two days, once every three days? Uh, for what? If you're using this for anxiety, if you're using this, we're seeing results even around um, pain. It might help people. We don't know yet, but there are some researches out there already showing that it might be uh, helping people reduce pain. If you can stop using opioids Potentially, and again, no medical claims, but if that is a potential, it's really our responsibility to exploit and explore and figure this out. Uh, and we're hoping to get as much data uh, from people so we can actually, uh, uh, I was very frustrated with university. I left after my master's because I could only do research with 13 people. If I wanna do anything um, that requires machine learning or anything like that, it's incredibly different, difficult. There's no funding. There's no, uh, I was doing all my co coding by myself, right? There's no, uh, I can't get somebody to help me code uh, uh, an app like the app that we built, which is really, um, I've tested all the apps out there for microdosing, uh, building this. And I can tell you, this is a whole new level uh, of interactivity. We're using uh, metrics from your body to see um, how your body is reacting to uh, microdosing and to see if we can see a difference in your body. So uh, uh, we're connecting to, to events. We're connecting you to our therapist through the app. It's really a whole uh, platform, actually, a digital care platform that we're building um, Built, and done, out built. there. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, Todd, you know, you know how perfect, perfectionist yeah. it's working. It's going to keep yeah. getting better. Yeah, it's going to keep getting better. We're going to keep connecting it to the hardware that we're putting out there. Wisdom, people are going to be able to hold you. Uh, uh, hopefully at the beginning of next year, uh, we're going to have two different wisdoms. One, uh, a small handheld wisdom that gives you biofeedback of your heart rate. That uh, is a meditation aid device, which, by the way, is a huge uh, um, new sector. There's predicting around $2 billion uh, in U.S. for meditation as it's starting to go mainstream because anecdotal evidence is that it really, really helps. And combining that uh, mindfulness and understanding and giving you tools to understand what's going on inside of you with microdosing um, has, I think, uh, immense potential. So we're going to help people meditate, make it more fun to meditate, more interactive. Uh, you're going to light up 
and glow based on people's heartbeats. And uh, people are going to be able to connect their heartbeats. You know, if I want to meditate with Todd and Graham, even though I've never met them in real life before, <laughs> right? Instead of holding their hands and creating that physical connection and feeling their heartbeat, I'll be able to hold you with them and actually see their heartbeats connect to my heartbeat. So um, this is, I think, one of the, you know, most psychedelic envision products uh, I've ever heard of, uh, figuring out how to connect humans on a deeper level, um, using technology, using visualization. Um, and we're also going to have you in a larger lamp size so you can light up people's room and uh, with trippy lights that they can actually decide patterns from the, for themselves. Um, if you want your light to grow red or pink or whatever color you want and change and, and have beautiful patterns, uh, people will be able to do that. And also charge your phone and actually help you let go of your phone because uh, there's a lot of research out there on how much our phones and being constantly connected all the time to these notifications, ping, 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 that's just increasing our anxiety. That's not giving us the connection we actually need. Um, so we want people to be more mindful. You know, use your phone when you need it. Put it down with them. You're going to be a great caregiver for our phones. You can charge them. You can measure how much we're using them uh, and help us uh, build a better relationship with technology. That's that's what we're trying to build. I just want to add, which which is really interesting with, with the phone scenario uh, and the wisdom truffle. Um, and Sarah, we're going to discuss, is it two or three? I thought we were maybe doing three. Are we, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss after through three. Oh, there's three a third, with, but the yeah, third yeah, is for like, um, us. it's play. It's, it's, it's up, unless yeah. people, unless it's big. Yeah. It's a whole meter yeah. size thing for exhibitions. Um, yes. if anybody out there wants something like that, you know, we can talk. <laughs> I call it the baller edition, but, but the phone, but yeah. the phone, <laughs> the, the, the phone holding one is, is really interesting. So, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm from a generation. You ever watch that show, Stranger Things? Um, you know, yes. I think that was a very popular <laughs> show. And and it reminds me of my childhood. Like that was in the early 80s. And, and that, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily saw the things they saw, but, you know, we went out on the bikes, we went into the fields, we just kind of rode and lived our life. And, you, you know, think of it, I have two children now, you know, my, my almost six-year-old, it like, it's unbelievable ability to, to use a phone and to play games on a high level and to do a lot of great things, you know, math things, coding stuff, like really neat already. But it does, it, it worries me. And then I see him build like, for instance, you know, a, a, a cool Lego piece, right? Like he did this big the other day and I was like, I saw a difference. It, it was just something, something he touched really important. And, and it reminds me the only thing I had access to when I was a child. And and I, I hope that, you know, as we get all older and our, our children get older that we don't only rely on technology meaning it's like a dangerous slope actually and and so what sarah is saying about like you know increasing hopefully happiness you know we really believe that this wisdom truffle can do that by by protecting and guarding your phone you know it's where it is it's going to encourage you through augmented reality to talk to you like you're doing to us right now wisdom to say go outside go for long walks go do yoga go do these things and and you know i'll relate it back to another little story of, of my my little baby well she's almost two now i guess a year nine months scarlet and and you know this was really daunting and i don't know if there's new parents out there but maybe you feel the same way it, it it's it's one of the first things our baby did for my wife and i was Whenever we like left a room or, or, or even at the dinner table and put the phones down, like literally the first kind of interaction with us before even say mama or dad or stuff was like picking up our phones where we left it 
and like handed it to us if we left it on a table or put it down to go and eat. And, and it was almost like, you know, it's almost like you left a limb, like someone cut off your arm and left it on a table. And then the baby was like, no, you can't, you can't exist without this. You, you know, you need your arm. And, and you know, that it's scary and it's daunting. So we really hope we can be a part. We always talk about recreating an iMicrodose lifestyle and, and being a part of positive change. Uh, and always saying, you know, we can't make the medical claims yet, but obviously within psilocybin and our product, we want to be a part of positive change. But the whole mantra of this company with things like wisdom is to 100% be a part of positive change. And it's just another way to do it. And and we also hope the logo is a reflection of that because it's friendlier, it's lighter, it's, 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 you know, very accepting, you know, like, like, it, you know, it's just, it's just a really warm figure and, and, and it's positive. Like we want to, we want to allude positivity with whatever we do. So it's really neat to see this tech helping uh, aid, uh, you know, really everything that we're trying to accomplish here. Awesome. I think this is a perfect transition to discuss the find your dose pattern. Graham, maybe if you wanted to give a few words and discuss that a little bit further, I think that will really speak to what Red Light Holland is trying to accomplish. Absolutely. And, you know, I can maybe start by saying just as somebody who's had experienced microdosing myself, the sort of trial and error months and you know years even of, of trying to figure out like what is the you know amount that I want to take, what's the regimen I want to follow. You know, I read James Fadiman's book. I went on you know forums online and talked to friends, and uh, I haven't, but I know some people will pay you know many thousands of dollars to see like an individual coach, and so it's difficult. And that's kind of the starting line I think to thinking about microdosing is it's something that. We know from lots of anecdotal reports and from lots of research done that there's a great benefit to be had, but how do we have each individual person optimize the benefit for themselves? So what we set out to do and you know, what we've used with um, Sarah's research and Sarah's technology, and maybe I can start also by just talking a little bit about what excited me about the technology that I saw back at this conference that we had last year or that um, Todd moderated that Sarah was on because that, a lot of that technology is also in this find your dose pattern that really makes this different than anything else that's out there. Cause this is not just about people putting in um, just you know what their dose amount was and how they wanna feel. This goes so much further beyond that to take into account information about uh, the way a human is just interacting with their environment and the way a human may not even understand themselves how they're uh, feeling and even be able to input that. So for instance, like my grandmother, whenever I saw her, oftentimes she would say like, stand up straight or stop slouching. And, you know, I didn't even know that my posture was in a particular way, but of course my, my grandmother was picking up on something and maybe she thought that that was reflective of how I was feeling or reflective of, you know, how I sh could be feeling better if my posture was a little bit different. So that sort of information is also part of the information that's being captured here. So, I mean, if we think about, I think one of the things you um, maybe said, Sarah, about how to connect humans on a deeper level so that this technology that's capturing the movement data of people was what really attracted me of the technology when I first saw it on the conference. So one of the things, you know, the fact that we're all here face to face, really, but just with our faces, um, you know, our torsos and just all virtual sort of in two dimensions, we miss out on so much of being able to, you know, kind of understand a person's just sort of presence in a room and you know what that means and being able to really see um, all this communicative information that's completely lost here. And, and there's other aspects of it too that 
I found to be really compelling in um, in your kind of initial work, Sarah, around can we like exchange with each other dance moves and can we exchange like hugs and you know particular um, things we can do with our body. And so that communication data is communication data that the wisdom truffle is able to pick up from an individual too. So that data can feed into whether or not the uh, you know microdosing that you're um, taking the um, you know particular regimen you're following or however amount that you're um, you know taking how that is um, reacting with your body and how you're um, doing with that and so being able to like incorporate that data along with all this other data that's being gathered um, of course as sir was you know took I think pains to mention and it's something that's very important to us is we want to make sure that any user that gives us data is doing that with complete understanding of how it's being used and what's being gathered and you know, is, is certain that if we're using it for research or for anything else, it's very important to us to make sure that user privacy and user data is being protected. But what we're able to do with this technology is be able to really come up with a completely novel way of optimizing a particular microdose uh, sort of regimen for people using all of this extra data that's being gathered that really is not being used by by anybody else for any other purpose. I mean, this is what really struck me as exciting about Sarah's initial work was all this just data about human communication and human interaction is just out there, but is not being utilized for any way. So we're, we're now taking this and we're using this to figure out how to give a, uh, you know, a microdose in the optimum way. So I'm, I'm excited about being able to use this myself. I think, um, you know, my friends are excited about this. I can see that like when people get to understand it more, I imagine everybody will be excited because this kind of cuts off the necessity of having to sort of flail around through trial and error or having to, you know, extend, um, you know, a lot of money toward trying to get some form of individual coaching. Um, but of course, we can pair this ourselves as well with um, some of the telecoaching. So we're kind of building upon it um, in that way, too. And um, you know, Sarah, maybe you have some some other sort of comments well, on some I'll, things that I'll, I'll chime in real quick. Or, or I'll chime in. Re I'll chime in real quick, Graham. Of course, you're using it in the Netherlands. That's where we'll be using it in the Netherlands. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Go um, ahead, Sarah. Sorry. No, I think I think you put it perfectly, uh, and I think it, uh, again, it's it's a whole digital care package. And we're going to be learning, we're going to have um, deep learning AI algorithms that can do population data and see what we get. Uh, we're very curious, you know, we're a very curious team. And um, we're, I'm just excited to be able to support research and conduct research outside of academia that uh, I think will have bigger impact, you know, like uh, than a lot of the things that uh, and and researchers that I've been talking to are actually very happy about what we're doing, very happy to collaborate with us. Um, and we'll we'll see how that goes as we build this out and start getting enough data um, around microdosing. I, I think that's a really great thing that Sarah pointed out, and it's tough. You know, I do a lot of the representation for Red Light Holland, um, you know, on these sort of, whether it's an investor conference or a quick little kind of, you know, someone's social media channel or whatever, a podcast I jump on. And and it's it's sometimes hard for me to, to kind of talk about the behind the scenes stuff, not the material stuff, because I'm not allowed talking about that stuff, but just the connections that, you know, someone like a Sarah Hashkas has brought for us. And, and the validity of what Red Light Holland is doing. Um, and, and, you know, the idea that there are so many 
wonderful kind of back to that word academia that really are supporting this mission and red light Holland in terms of understanding that we're trying to represent a movement. And yeah, you know, maybe you got some, you know, very dynamic, uh, you know, I know I'm a kind of a character and, and I get out there and I wear all the merch and we're branding and stuff. And, and branding is very important to me. I always say that, you know, in terms of investments that uh, a brand, you know, a, a very successful brand is, is, is far more valuable than a commoditized plant or fungi. But I mean, if we can do this all right and, and, and have it validated um, and, you know, have researchers, have scientists and you're see have great lawyers like Graham come and be a part of this team. We're, we're in this for the long haul. I mean, we're, 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 we're we got a great, they call it a war chest. Okay. We got, you know, 30 million, um, obviously, you know, we're, we're in sales, but you know, the thing that excites me is the fact that pay to be patient too, because if you think about people compared to Nabis and, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but if you work carefully and you work, you know, with, with these relationships that Sarah and Graham have brought into this company, uh, and of course the rest of the team, you know, you think of a guy like Bruce Linton, think of the relationships he brings in. Um, you think of the fact that, you know, Red Light Holland has gone through very careful steps to get psilocybin from a consumer goods product into Canada through a psilocybin import license, you know, proving out that we can cross international borders because we're doing everything within the legal framework and we're doing everything carefully. And now we're getting these relationships coming to the company. And we think that if you were to look kind of a, at a long-term vision, wow, you know, people may think we're rogue because we're not doing it this typical clinical trial or, or kind of medical way or synthetic way, call it. But we are doing it, you know, by being a bit polarizing. You know, it's a sensitive issue and a sensitive topic, but we're talking about it. We're, we're not purposely in people's faces talking about it, but we're proud to talk about it for what it is. And we're also doing things really carefully, like I say, with all these different, you know, regulations and, and different legal frameworks. So, you know, we think this is a great kind of, you put all those pieces of the puzzle together and where will there be ultimate legalization like we've seen with cannabis in many states and of course in Canada and other countries? Well, that's a question that's remain unknown. Are we all gonna push for that? Of course. Do we want that? Have we seen precedents being set for that, especially in Canada? When you think of the house, house minister has allowed those and and so beautifully so who who are sadly terminally ill to use psilocybin to help them with their anxiety and fears of end of life well yeah they've done that and have they allowed now for people to use it for severe trauma yeah health canada has done that so is this a path that we're seeing because cannabis follow that exact same path that's what they legalize they first prescribed cannabis for those exact same reasons in early 2000s. Now we're seeing measure 109 being written in Oregon. So, you know, when we've set up red light Oregon, so we're doing all these things patiently and slowly, but so many great relationships and so many individuals who are, who are really powerful within the sector. Um, you know, listen, they know what red light Holland's doing. And I think it's, I think people behind the scenes without us kind of bragging here, I, I think that it's neat to see these relationships because we're getting the support of the community. And this is a community venture together. We have to do this together. And we're proud that red light Holland is doing that. I just totally agree that uh, it's been such an adventure uh, joining this team and getting this constantly like inbounding connection through LinkedIn. And it's something different. There's something I really hope we manage to maintain uh, this uniqueness in, within the psychedelic ecosystem of understanding the bigger picture, of understanding that we can do things uh, that benefit, you know, and I, I will openly talk about how much Dr. Bronner's is like a, a huge inspiration for me. 
Um, and uh, I was lucky enough, Todd, he was on Todd's show and we were lucky enough for him to talk to us. And just like we can build a company that is capitalistic, that makes money for its investors, but is also benefiting uh, humanity on a larger scale, is also benefiting the employees. Uh, it doesn't need to be opposed. Sometimes we're going to need to figure things out. It's it's a new, you know, there, there's something really new about this, but there have been companies uh, and our companies that are trying to do this. And this to me feels like we're part of a, you know, I keep saying, I, I don't work so hard. I'm just part of a revolution, you know, where when people ask me like, oh, why are you still working at midnight on a weekend or something? It's just like, it, it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like we're pushing something forward that is like a one, once in a lifetime opportunity. One last thing. Do oh, you uh, by any chance want to show us the face behind Wisdom that can get to see the magical voice of uh, Lauren Barnes? Thank you very much for hosting Wisdom. Happy to be here. Hey, Lauren. How was it to embody, embody a truffle? It was definitely really interesting, and I agree with what everyone else has been saying. I look at Red Light Holland as a company with profit for purpose, and I, I can see this being a really big movement and there being lots of positive impact on people's lives, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. Yeah, Lauren, so, you know, this is really cool. We, um, you know, we did this Give You a Job contest, and uh, Lauren is one of the winners from the Give You a Job contest. We actually haven't come out and, and announced all of them because everything takes a little bit longer than you think, but we, but we have hired people through that give you a job contest. Uh, and, and, and Lauren's been amazing already working with us. And, uh, Lauren's background is just incredible in terms of sustainability and care for the environment. And she's already advised us on so many wonderful things. And, you know, again, none of this is material. It's just talking behind the scenes on how we grow as a company and do it carefully. And, and, you know, um, make sure that we reflect, um, what younger generations, quite frankly, think of, I think a lot more than older generations. Um, and, and we're not, I'm not sitting here going, oh yeah, I'm 48. I know the way the world works. No, it's not, it doesn't work that way. It's, it, you know, I'm the CEO, Lauren's brand new to the company, but her ideas and her thoughts have been so incredible already to help us communicate and figure out how to move forward together as this one big collective team, uh, which hopefully does good. So yeah, are there baby steps? We'll take some time to kind of institute all this kind of stuff. Of course it will, but you know, are we pleased and, and, and that, you know, this is the type of feedback we get, you know, we want from everyone who works with our corporation, including our shareholders, by the way. Uh, and I think we got to a lot of great questions here that it's, it's tough to kind of Personally, I find these things a little bit confusing when you do them live because you get questions one thing, you get personal messages going in the other, um, you know, it, but we'll continue to do this and we're trying to be as transparent as possible. Um, as you know, uh, there's always things I can't for selective disclosure reasons, can't talk about until say a press release or until, uh, until kind of, uh, the market were to learn about everything. Uh, the purpose of these red light radio podcasts with wisdom and Lauren hosting and, and of course, Graham and Sarah, and we'll add up, uh, you know, add, we'll add a ton of different people, um, in, in future episodes is really to talk about what we can talk about with the company, the vision, uh, the things we've accomplished, the things we'll continue to accomplish. So we really do hope that, uh, these, you know, we're going to do them weekly. I think is that the deal? Maybe bi-monthly. Bi -mon okay. <laughs> a lot of work time. Well, let's let's keep. I like okay. Let's so we'll do a few. You know, we'll do we'll do a couple of months. Call it. Uh, but and and hopefully they'll continue to grow. And and the good part is they'll live forever because you know it's not just live. We'll keep them up there. So uh, we do hope people enjoy it. And Lauren, Sarah, and Graham, thank you so much. Thank you again to all of our speakers and to everyone that joined us here today at Red Light Radio. I'm your host, Wisdom, and I want you all to stay magical and safe until our next trip to another place. Thank you 
for listening to the Red Light Radio Podcast. Make sure to follow us at Red Light Harlem to tune in for our next episode. Until next time, stay safe, but most importantly, stay magical. Powered by Red Light Harlem.